What do you want? You were expecting some kind of nice, normal disclaimer? Ah, uh, not today. I'm too tired for that. I think I need to get some sleep. What do you mean you can't start the episode until we get a disclaimer? Come on, you, you've done this several times by now. It's, what is it? It's, we have foul language, mature content, so listener discussion is advised. There's spoilers for everything, including today's episode or film or whatever we're doing today. And what is it? We, we, our opinions are our own and don't reflect the podcast as a whole. See? There's your disclaimer. So easy. Now, if you excuse me, maybe get some sleep. I'm very tired right now. Greetings, one and all, and welcome back to Dub Talk's second season of Summer at the Movies. All summer long, we've been tackling some of the well-known English dubs of various recent anime films, and this week is no exception. If you haven't been able to guess, I'm Stephanie, and my fantastical par partner of Heartland this year is Sneebs. Say hello. Hello, boys and girls, to the land of dreams and reality, where you too may become the princess or prince of anime dubs. Princess is debatable, all things considered, in this film today. <laughs> anyway. It's all subjective, you see. True facts. This week in our penultimate episode of season two, we're here to give you our thoughts on the English dub of Napping Princess, the 2017 film from production company Signal MD and director Kenji Kamayama of Eden of the East and Ghosts in the Shell fame. Right which was dubbed and released this year thanks to G-Kids here in North America. So the same uh, licensing company, G-Kids, as all of the precious Studio Ghibli films mm. that we've come to know and love. So this is essentially under the Disney brand. <laughs> it's another kind of magic. Copyrighted magic. <laughs> Wink. Da, 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 da. I'm not humming those strains. I don't want to visit from the lawyers again. <laughs> No, it'd be me that gets to visit this time. Uh, <laughs> if this is your first time hearing about this film, we have actually a quick little plot summary for you. Sneebs, what is this film about? In the year 2020, three days before the opening of the Tokyo Olympics, uh, our girl Ko uh, Kono Konoe uh, Morikawa often dozes off entering a dream world called Heartland, full of fantastic and motorized contraptions. But when her father, a talented but mysterious mechanic, is kidnapped from stealing technology from a powerful corporation, it's up to Kokone and her childhood friend Morio to save him. Together they realize that Kokone's dream world holds the answers to the mystery behind the stolen tech, uncovering a trail of clues to her father's disappearance, and ultimately a surprising revelation about Kokone's family. It is delightful. Imagine if Satoshi Kon made that family film he was supposed to before he passed away, this is what it would feel like. Now you're making me depressed. <laughs> partially partially because the only reason why you got the cone, the cone connection was me, because I said it before we recorded this, and two, because I still want the dreaming machine so bad. <laughs> I just convinced myself this is the dreaming machine. My, I reject reality and substitute my own. And fear not, I, 
when I saw this, uh, my impression was definitely, oh, yes, it's Summer Wars, but if Satoshi Kon directed it. Mm -hmm. And uh, for those of you who have not yet seen it, you're in for a treat. This is the yep. family film sleeper for anime fans everywhere. It really is. Uh, now, as we've been going along all summer long, we're going to be discussing major characters of the film, uh, as well as the performances and our thoughts on the film's English dub as a whole. Uh, so strap yourselves in, kitties. We're on for a magical dream, fun, dream-filled ride. I can't freaking talk right now. <laughs> It's okay, it's nar the narcolepsy medication. It sometimes does it. <laughs> you're you're going to make people think I'm narcoleptic now, thanks. <laughs> Don't worry. You're not narcoleptic, Steph. You're just dreamy. <sighs> I don't know about that. <laughs> there are things I don't know about nowadays. I think the heat is killing me right now. Like, my brain is just dying. <laughs> it's so goddamn hot out, guys. Ice cube under uh. the tongue. Ice cube under the tongue. <laughs> Cocaine under the armpits. Care sticks in the nose. Legit, apparently, that's how those those are ways you can get yourself cool rather quickly. As weird, as strange as they are, though I haven't tried it, but <laughs> let's just say that old Uncle Sneebs has survived many dangerous adv adventures in his forays across the world. Old Uncle Sneebs has his own home remedies, basically. <laughs> Uncle Sneebs home remedies. Guaranteed to make you feel magical and alive in the most adverse of situations. <laughs> Remember, it's not special if it's not sneeze. God damn it. We're off to a great start. We are. Speaking, so, of, speaking of great starts, where do you think we should start off our episode today? I think perhaps going to those wonderful folks behind the scenes who guide the talent through this. Let's discuss ADR directors and ADR scriptwriters. I'm okay with this. I thought you would be. Who do we got? Well, for ADR, we have Mitre Sinternaklas. I'm mispronouncing it so horribly. Uh, famed for such shows as Fulikuri Alternative and Progressive, A Silent Voice and Your Name, and Stephanie Shea, legendary in her own time for Fulikuri Alternative prog uh, and Progressive, A Silent Voice and Your Name. They've done lots of other work before, but those two certainly have been uh, on a lot of those crossover projects together, and you can definitely hear their uh, directorial voice, so to speak. Yeah, definitely the two of them. They've tag-teamed on a lot of projects because um, this this is a dub from NYAV Post over in... Um, why do I want to say it's New York? Yeah, New York. Why am I... <laughs> I'm, I'm losing my brain today. Um, and that's the studio that has done those those same credits. Fully Coolie Alternative and Progressive, Your Name. Uh, and another movie we discussed in season two of some of the movies, A Silent Voice. Mm. Um, and we talked about Your Name last year. And who is our ADR scriptwriter? Our ADR scriptwriter is none other than Adam Modanio. You might know him for such things as 009 Re Cyborg, Psychic School Wars, and Time of Eve. Alright, so did you want to go first with your thoughts on the staffing here, or do you want me to go first? What do you think? I'd let you go first on this, because I'm the one who did the introduction, and it's only fair to give you a fair shake of the stick. Very well. The big thing with this film that I felt is, it's not just the fantastical elements of it, um, and it's not, because I think the themes were... And um, Kenji Kamiyama also talked about this. I watched an interview he did mm -hmm. off of my Blu-ray set. Um, it's not just, like, 
fantasy and family values, it's also adapting uh, mm -hmm. in the case of, you know, the whole thing with the self-driving cars. Oh, yeah. Because mm -hmm. uh, one of because plot point is this technology, this code for successful self-driving cars that everybody wants. <laughs> That's the technology that apparently Kokone's dad, quote unquote, stole. Um, but the big thing that I really felt with this film while watching it was a childlike quality to it. Mm -hmm. And I felt how heartwarming it was. Now, granted, I haven't seen the Japanese, so obviously I can't compare the, how the Japanese felt in that regard and compare it to the English. But with the English, I can definitely say I love the direction, the writing here. The writing, I felt like, elevated those childlike, heartwarming qualities a lot to me. Um, and it was just so endearing and sincere in terms mm -hmm. of the writing. And the direction just was also elevated that script even more. With a lot of fun performances, some of which you wouldn't expect to come into this kind of film, all things considered, with mm -hmm. like past credits and stuff. And especially when we talk about Kokone um, towards the end. Um, that actress in particular, that, that's probably a surprise for a lot of people for her to come into this. Um, but Pulled out their big guns, for sure. They did. I feel like at its core, what the, sh what the film... I almost said show. What the film... The tone it wanted to go with was a fantastical, childlike quality to it, mm -hmm. and I th and I feel that the direction captured this very, very well, yeah. despite some of the more not darker tones. I would say maybe a little bit more heavy, complex story, nuanced. Yes, more nuanced story uh, to it, and I just fell mm -hmm. in love with it from start to finish. Oh yes, so. Props definitely to directing and writing on keeping that wonderful childlike, qual childlike heartwarming quality. And this mm -hmm. is this is definitely a film like you could probably show to both kids as well as adults. Yeah. And because there are there are things that both age groups they would totally get into, and both age groups like kids would pick up on stuff. Um, mm -hmm. They may not pick up on everything, but that's where the adults come in. The adults can come in and basically pick up on that stuff that maybe if you were a child watching this, oh yeah, like and you grew up with it, and then you suddenly pick these things out. It's like, oh, I never noticed that before. So yes. this is definitely a film that's meant for all ages. Yeah, and the directing and the writing on it certainly made sure it stayed true to that and gave it such a sincere, endearing, heartwarming quality mm -hmm. to it. It doesn't surprise me that you say this. I have not seen the film in the dub in its entirety. I uh, watched it back in at the beginning of April at Anime Boston. They were doing a, lot, a, sc a screaming of this, and when they were what they were showing, uh, as was said, there were these fairy tale qualities that came into it, um, and to capture the essence of that sort of magical realism. We drew the parallels to Satoshi Kone, obviously. Mm -hmm. And like Kone, it, uh, the film overall intersperses a fantastical reality with a more mundane one, with an emotional through line f through both, where um, the distinction between the fiction of the fantasy setting versus the, the realism, quote-unquote, of the mm -hmm. actual world are complementing one another in outlining what these uh, what the two different takes of 
the events hap- of the events which transpired within the past of this film's universe, both of them have to have a certain gravity that would deal with some rather t- heavy issues like dealing with it being a single parent and the loss mm-hmm. of a partner and raising a child with that, along with the lighter fantastical elements of uh, a girl's coming-of-age story. Right. And uh, to do those both with folks like Sinterklaas and Shay, uh, I am not surprised you spoke well of the delivery here because there were a number of moments in the dub, or in the sub, I should say, that uh, were translated a little roughly because the direct translation from Japanese to English was uh, somewhat spotty or somewhat localized to a Japanese okay. zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. Uh, just minor throwaway things. It was largely comprehensible to a North American audience, but it would need those touches to make it sound naturalistic. And uh, from what you talk about, the ability to keep that childlike wonder whilst orbiting those darker themes, or darker, heavier themes, mm-hmm. uh, seems like the perfect balancing act for some of the projects that we discussed previously. And with the script, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of colloquialism within that. It was more just down to basic English script writing that isn't too leaning too heavily on explaining aspects of Japanese culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know the the sub certainly didn't have a lot of that, so it struck me, knowing these people's track record, what we would get out of this. a um, right. Something that you could pop in the DVD player and show to a non-anime fan who oh, would yeah. be able to effortlessly take it in and appreciate it. And uh, yeah, this is something that you could easily throw to any film festival and they would walk away applauding and saying, oh, if only we could get animation like this in North America... I remember they did that when Paprika came out. And, uh, oh, yeah. I saw that on the back of every DVD promo and kept on thinking, guys, guys, pay attention. I'd have to do some research, but I think... I'm trying to remember if Napping Princess was actually on the um, on the film circuit, uh, the film festival circuit. I'm going to have to look that up really I believe quickly. so, but... It might we'll... have been. I know... Um, I know... I know. I think your name for sure, and I know. I think a silent voice was on the. Um, I know they were trying to get it on the award circuit mm-hmm. last uh, last year, or the year before, and unfortunately, neither one didn't make it. There mm-hmm. was. It was interesting because um, the films being considered for the Oscars last year for best animated film, there was a decent amount of anime films. Surprisingly, I mean, even the Sword Art Online movie was fucking among the shortlist. <laughs> I'm not joking. I wouldn't. I wouldn't accuse you of joking. It's a, it's an attempt of the academy, I think, to try and look at. See, we're more diverse. Look at this. We're taking all these foreign films, and it's posturing. But I'm pretty sure it's posturing that, uh, nevertheless, gets more people looking at stuff that would otherwise right. go under the radar. At least, that's my own zero point zero two dollars. See, yeah, I don't. It doesn't look like there are any. Info about it being on the um, festival circuit, Mapping Princess. But apparently, there is a short animated spinoff film, Asin and the Magic Tablet and Other Princess. Uh, it was made available on the Japanese version of the streaming service Hulu to build anticipation for the movie's release. It was also mm-hmm. released on DVD. Interesting. Anyway, yeah, I've, it's interesting talking about it because... Oh, wow, I lost my train of thought because I had a thought while you were talking. Damn it. 
May I speak then to help the thoughts flow whilst my yeah? Because there was there was something I was gonna jump in. Oh, now I know what it is. So it the you're talking when you're talking about the writing and um how it wasn't because you made it sound like it's a bit more simplistic. It doesn't try to go too I don't want to say experimental, but too abstract. Yeah, because with a film like this. Like, if you're comparing the, a film like this compared to, particularly, I would say, A Silent Voice. A mm -hmm. Silent Voice, which I haven't seen the dub yet. I have seen the Japanese, though, in theaters. And with a film like that, with such heavy, heavy themes mm -hmm. and material to work with, I feel like the script for Napping Princess... Because A Silent Voice would be a very difficult one to show to a kid. Oh, yeah. It's very, very emotional. Like, it really tugs at you. Napping Princess, like, I feel like the direction that they went with in the writing and direction-wise, it was more, it is more catered to, a chil like, children's audiences, in a sense. It's far yes. breezier. Far yeah, breezier. It's far, far breezier, far easier to digest, and it's definitely a bit more, like, all-ages friendly compared to something like a silent voice. So I found I found it very interesting that when you were talking about the script, it just just didn't like seem more abstract or full of like different colloquialisms or kind of things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we want to move on to our first set of characters. I think that would be a delight. All right. So the first set of characters we're going to talk to, uh, they're more secondary characters, but they do at least have some sort of influence on mm -hmm. the story. Uh, so we have Kijita, who is a local sheriff or local police officer uh, in Kokone in Morio's hometown. And we also have Sawatari, who is actually Morio's dad. Um, <laughs> he works, I think, it's not explicitly stated what he does, but I think he works at the harbor by the yes. looks of it. And uh, the two of them are actually Kokone's, uh, friends of Kokone's dad, and they play Mahjong all, like, all the time at night for no, until the cows come home. Because <laughs> the, oh, yeah. the jokes are made about it, like, don't keep them up too late, and all that stuff. Um, Old but, men in their gaming circles, it it happens. Chess, mahjong, shogi, uh, checkers, Chinese checkers, am I missing anything? Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> yes! I like, I like where you're going in this, too. People who are drawn together for various gaming purposes do happen to have consistent regular social groups and uh yeah it these two characters certainly did help deliver the feeling of this uh of kokone's world and uh of her father's emotional support network really it was kind of a charming i just find it, I just find it hilarious you brought the Yu-Gi-Oh thing up and i'll explain why in a second um but both these characters they also have versions of themselves in Heartland as well. Mm -hmm. uh, Kijita is also known as Tokiji, and Sawatari is also known as Uki. Uh, and basically, these two characters, really the only reason to kind of bring them up is um, they kind of help push the plot along a little bit. Oh, yes. Uh, as they try to pre pre prevent uh, Watanabe, the one of the characters we'll discuss very shortly, mm -hmm. from getting a hold of the tablet with the magical code for the self-driving cars. Um, and they try to protect Kokone and Morio while they're trying to get things resolved and save Kokone's dad. Oh, yeah. So, as Kijita, we have Wayne Grayson, 
who has been in series such as Samurai Deeper Kyo, Tai Chi, tai Chi Chasers, and believe it or not, this is Joey fucking Wheeler from Yu-Gi-Oh! <laughs> so there's the Yu-Gi-Oh! thing coming full circle. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm trying to play my Aunt Mahjong here, Tile Hugh. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's yes. so and good to know he's still employed. Good job, Wayne. It's Thank you, sir. Thank you for your service. As for Sowataru, we have Mike Pollock, who has been in series, series or films in this case, such as Miss Ho Hokusai, Rio Rainbow Gate, and he's Dr. Eggman from Sonic X. To which, side note for this gentleman, <laughs> kudos to Clifford Chapin and Brittany Lauder for getting him to uh, do a small role in the new Legend of the Galactic Heroes series <laughs> for a couple episodes. Props to them for getting him out there. Um, so, Sneebs, how do you, f I'm just curious, how do you feel about Wayne and Mike's performances as these two wonderful gentlemen? I find it quite, uh, charming in this case that, uh, these are supporting characters. These are right. the, uh, these are the fairy tale helpers who uh, mm -hmm. help the heroine along on her journey. Uh, the C-3PO or R2-D2 who don't have character depth in themselves, but are there to shore up certain plot elements. Right. Uh, I think that to make a, to make this, uh, to play these well, you need to do the balance between the subtlety of the, uh, of the real world dynamics and sort of the gravity mm -hmm. of some of the hijinks that start occurring as Kokone starts diving into, uh, the mystery of her family right. and, uh, then tying that into the more whimsical elements that these characters bring to the table when it becomes obvious that, uh, up in Heartland, they are far more fantastic and flighty and there to... Uh, I forget their exact roles in Heartland now. Were they pirates or something charming and delightful? I think I think the idea is that they're pirates. It's never explicitly stated. Though um, Asen does, I think, mistake Peach to be a pirate. Mm. Like, he looks like one, but he looks more like a like a biker gang kind of dude to me instead of a yeah. pirate. But Asen's like, hey, Peach, you're a pirate, right? Take me with you. <laughs> yep. But I, th I think that's the idea is that these two characters might be put, like, be seen as pirates in Asen's mm -hmm. eyes. Oh, yeah. And the, uh, in order to fit those roles, they've got to oscillate between the two because they do have a little bit of lifting here. It's, it yeah. was subtle, but those characters uh, in the, their real world selves, as right. Kijuta and Samatari, have to talk um, have to talk about some difficult issues. There's been some stuff that is mm -hmm. in orbit of Kokone's personal history that really affects uh, her dad Peach, and to these guys, do you get the sense that they are his emotional support? They are right people who've been helping him deal with loss and raise a small child on his own for a good long time. Mm -hmm. And uh, they these fellows have been around the uh, path a, few, a little while. they not their first rodeo. They certainly do know how to inflect character act, characters with a little bit of subtlety, as anyone who's listened to Joey Wheeler can attest to. <laughs> yeah, that's my take at least. What about you? Would, what you, you would you believe me if I said I didn't realize that G that Wayne Grayson was in this movie? Yeah, and I didn't yeah. put I didn't put two and two together that this was Joey Wheeler from my childhood. 
Well, it's hard not to because he do, he's got a very different sound. Joe, right. Joey's this exaggerated thing. Joey's that, not with Joey doesn't have that Brooklyn accent. That's yes. what it is. He doesn't have that accent on this one, obviously. No. Um, but it's very interesting. I I do enjoy both these roles. Um, there's not an extreme amount. They don't get a, as much screen time as I would have loved, but they do serve the purpose of like help, like either as an exposition dump or moving the story along. Um, especially Sawatari, because he's the main expedition dump, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, when the main villain is back at Kokone's house, trying to... Getting getting um, Kijita and Sawatari to help him find the tablet, not of their own free will, of course. And um, he's gonna flunk. Sawatari ends up talking to Kokone on the phone, and he's basically suddenly this exposition dump for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Sawatari in particular, between Sawatari and Uki, the um, real life and Heartland characters, there's a big difference between these two, and it's their age. Mm-hmm. Sawatari is an older man. Like, I would say, if I had to guess, maybe because Morio's, what, college age, so he he just went to college, so he's probably like yeah. 18, 19 years old. So Sawatari's probably maybe in his late 40s, early 50s, yeah. depending on... Depending on obviously when Morio was born and all that crap. Oh yeah. Um, and then Uki in the in Heartland, he seems more like late twenties, maybe mm. at at oldest early like early to mid thirties to me. So there's a distinct difference in terms of age, and I think Mike does put that in his voice as well yes. to show that difference. But he still has that charm and personality that the real Sawatari has with Uki's character, and I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And then Wayne Grayson. I think Kijita is actually in the film a lot less than Sawatari. Yes. Mostly because Sawatari is an exposition dump. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but he's also a fun character. And the fact that it's my childhood coming back to surprise the living hell out of me says a lot, too. And it also reminds me that I need to go back on my quest to marathon all of Yu-Gi-Oh! Because I have that massive freaking set. <laughs> I got to Battle City. I'm at Battle City, and then I stopped for a while. So I need to pick that back up again. I just need to remember where I was. But both of these performances, I do enjoy mm-hmm. them a lot. But I, spe- I especially appreciate Mike Pollock, um, Mike Pollock's take on these two different characters and making them both distinct but still the same person at mm-hmm. the same time. Just like a young... Like, Uki's basically a younger version of Sawatari in a sense. Um interesting parallels particularly when you factor in how idealistic the world of heartland is compared yeah. to our our own our own reality and exactly. how that uh, leans into both of those stories themes but yeah. now i'm playing my hand and when you're riding with a pirate king he should never peek at his hand you might mm-hmm. see too much of the aces hidden up the sleeves indeed or else you walk the plank you scurvy dogs. Uh, <laughs> You'll never take me, Queen of Heartland. <laughs> there is no Queen of Heartland. There's a King of Heartland, though. Uh-huh, uh, we're playing. I'm playing a role. Gosh. I'm getting in character, man. Segway, though, man. Yes. Who are we talking about next, man? Oh, I didn't mean to cut you off, but... Uh, no, it's okay. Next two, like, I, next don't really, two... I don't really have much more thoughts outside of what I just said, so it's That's good. fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm just riffing with the, ma- with the magical talent of improv. But <laughs> what we're dealing with next are Ishiro Watanabe, also known as Bewan, uh, played by Lex Wutas, uh, known for such roles in Giant Robber, Shura no Toki, Age of Chaos, and Space Pirate Mito. 
and Ishin Shijima, that is to say, the King of Heartland, played by Paul St. Peter from such roles as Leomon and Digimon, Planetes, and Gankutsuo. Oh, How did you... Stuff now. Oh, yes. I'm, I'm appreciating the gravitas. Uh, mm. What were your thoughts on these two roles of oh, the... Of the corporate flunky slash uh, middle slash fixer of and sorcerer of uh, Ishiro Bewan and the CEO slash king of Paul St. Peter. Oh boy. So, just slight context. So, Watanabe is the main villain of the film mm -hmm. uh, who wants the tablet and the magic and the magical technology to himself so he can tr basically overthrow mm -hmm. Shijima over here. Yes. A.K.A. our Heartland King. Uh, and Shijima actually is the head of a car corporation. And he's... We find out he's actually Kokone's grandfather. Uh, through her mother, who passed away from an accident when she, when Kokone was a newborn, basically. I'm gonna start with Lex. He, he's, um... He's a very slimy villain. <laughs> and... <laughs> And it's interesting I say that because there's two different kinds of slimy villain he gets to kind of portray mm -hmm. here, thanks to these two different worlds that we're dealing with here. So, if we're talking about Heartland and him as Bowan, he he kind of he mostly acts with a sense of pride. He's very full of pride and he's very determined and he wants to like rule the kingdom himself he feels he's a more fit ruler than the king of heartland mm -hmm. and then you have the real world watanabe here who if we're describing if we're putting it in a sense how he, this character slimy he's a corporate shark oh yeah he's just looking to climb that ladder um and especially since shijima here he shijima does want the code for the self-driving cars back the code was actually written by his daughter, a.k.a. Kokone's, uh, Kokone's mom. Mm -hmm. And he wants it back in time to make it successful for the Summer Olympics. And he wants to put that on display. But it's mostly for his own like closure, in a sense. Mm -hmm. For the passing of his daughter. Because from what we can gather in the film, after... Because his daughter basically left the company because she was on the board. She eloped with Kokone's dad. She died of an accident just after Kokone was born. And then Kokone's dad and her grandfather, Shijima, they did not talk. They did not speak ever since. Estrangement is a bitter pill. Yeah, Kokone never even knew that she had a living grandfather on her mom's side. She mm -hmm. never knew about it because her dad never told her. So... It's very interesting that Wat and Watanabe, of course, being the corporate shark that he is, he wants to take that code for himself, make a profit out of it, and basically say that he was the successful person with this program. He I should be the one running this company, not this old man. We need to phase him out, put me in charge. So Lex gets to play two different kinds of villainous roles that you typically mm -hmm. see. Obviously, one a more fantastical one compared to a much more like realistic mm -hmm. kind of version and you can make that connection again it kind of goes back to what i was saying about this being a film for all ages where yes. kids can see how evil bowain is on the in the heartland area and adults can have see how evil watanabe is 
they're, they're the same person, two different kinds of evil in terms of personality, but you mm-hmm. can still get that sense across with Lex's performance, and it's very great. I love it. And um, as for Paul St. Peter, he has a very noble personality, which is, which is presented in both forms, in the reality as Shijima and in Heartland as the king. And both with his corporate position and his desire to keep his kingdom safe. Mm-hmm. Because in Heartland, the king of Heartland loves his people. He wants them to be safe. And he wants to do what he can to protect them. Like, because part of the story in the Heartland side is that Aeson is a sorceress. And uh, the king's advisors have told him several times and tried to advise him several times that she should be banished. Because they think her magic is basically a curse on them. Mm-hmm. Heartland. But he just won't do it because it's his only daughter. Yes. Um, Classic fairy tale trope great, right there. Exactly. And granted, we find out even more secrets later on in the film, too. Oh, oh yeah. Um, for, for Paul St. Peter, I would say for sure the personality is basically the same on both sides. Mm-hmm. It's just how it's presented yes. as a king versus a corporate president or CEO. Yeah. Um, but down to the core in this situation, it's the, in both really, it's just how they're presented might be, it's just how they're presented, uh, in terms of Paul St. Peter as Shijima and the Heartland King, both are presented in, in probably the closest similar manners mm-hmm. among all of the characters, um, while Watanabe Bowen here, it's the same core personality and principles, but presented in two different ways. Yes. So it's very interesting to see both these sides and how these both these actors portray them. But I I, mm-hmm. I enjoy both sides of this very yeah. much. Yeah. No, uh, my own take on this was uh, just both of these characters are because it is a movie and there's only limited runtime. Right. They are going to be archetypal in either way: the conniving advisor versus versus the noble if blind king. Right. Uh, you could definitely see why the fairy tale analogy works here so well, and how that, um, what would you say, almost Gaiman-esque displacement of the fictional analogs voicing and manifesting and acting out the sort of dramas that uh, our heroine was too blind to see in the real life because she was largely ignorant of the larger intrigues going around her. the contrast between Watanabe and Beiwan is more of someone who knows that they can quite literally become the king of everything and make their own law versus someone who, even if they do advance their career and get some new sweet technology that will look good, still are ultimately have to answer to law and society. You're going to get right. the more blatant versus... Uh, more subtle forms of unctuous villainy. I shouldn't really have used that word to describe myself because <laughs> Watanabe really was that oily sort of uh, antagonist who you would expect to see in a kid's movie to delight right. in stealing something from a sm- from a child because it gets him to advance his career. It should be take candy, taking candy from a baby. Uh, as for Paul St. Peter's Heartland King of Shijima... You got very, very much that uh, feel of the the traditional Japanese CEO, 
mm-hmm. the tension we were talking about about the fight for the driverless car technology and how that how that uh, weighs into the drama that we see unfolding. This character does have some. He he has the duty forward notion that you would come to expect from a Japanese businessman of that generation. That uh, I put the company first and give it all for the Zaibatsu. Right. And uh, you can draw the parallel between Good King and Heartland, but um, yeah, I remember in the sub he had some very heavy lifting to do here when dealing with a girl he didn't know who he slowly comes to realize over the course of conversation is his granddaughter and the crooks of everything and thus the most important person in his world. And I would have delighted to have heard that uh, scene play out because, my word, it was powerful in Japanese. And knowing Pollock's... uh, Sorry. uh, Knowing Paul St. Peter's retinue and previous Mm -hmm. resume, I cannot help him but see him as a perfect fit for this. Yeah, I... I, You're you're referring to the scene where um, Kokone is trying to get to the... um... Mm-hmm. Frick, they call it a plot not... hole. Plot hole. <laughs> a plot hole. Plot. Uh, a plot point. That was the, the word. Plot I was point. The end. The, the, the dreamland. Like I can't remember the term of it. Something engine. Hyper engine yes. or something like the engine mechanized that, thing that made um, Heartland work. Yes, and uh, she's kind of just dangling like she's about to fall. Enjoy her stuffed animals, trying to help her up, and um, that was a really good scene too. Well. There are two good sing- scenes for him. One is during that when he sees the stuffed dog, Joy, trying to help Kokone. And then he, that's when he realizes, wait, she knows my daughter. This mm-hmm. girl down here knows my daughter because I gave her my daughter that toy. And Wayne's just sitting there like, sir, we will send troops immediately down there to fetch her and arrest her. And he's like, nah, man, I'm arresting your ass instead. <laughs> Yeah, not, that not, was... Obviously not in those exact words, but... Um, and then I think... I think the more powerful scene that Paul St. Peter gets to play is his first interaction with Kokoni in the real world as it slowly yeah. shifts to the dream world. Yes, that was what I was thinking of in particular. That was walloping. Yeah. <laughs> Where they're talking about Kokoni's mom and, and Shijima's daughter... Um, wonder like Kokone's asking these questions about what she's like and everything like that, and it's just you can he you with with Paul Saint Pierre Shijima you can hear like a bit of a somber tone to him as he kind of a somber but almost nostalgic tone in that scene for him where he's just reminiscing about his daughter but he's also kind of not mellow about not mellow but um kind of kind of a little bit detached since he hasn't seen or obviously Mm -hmm. he hasn't seen or spoken to her in years and obviously he didn't he he from what it sounds like he hadn't spoken to her really since she left the company and eloped with Kokone's dad that's what it sounded like in the film Mm -hmm. to me I could be wrong so obviously he has a lot of regrets with that and turning her away with her because it was Again, it was her mother's idea for the self-driving car technology, and he turned it away. So he wants to do right by his daughter, and it's a very 
very touching scene just see like listening to Paul St. Peter just reminisce and talk mm. about his daughter. It's a really good scene, honestly. It was very fitting for his chops. That that role required not a whole lot of screen presence, but a whole lot of heavy lifting. Yeah. And I I wouldn't have thought to have pegged him in that uh, in that role. I have almost forgotten who was that guy who played Leomon back in the day I know, when right? I was watching Digimon in two thousand one. It's like you forget, but then you remember he's Leomon, and it's like, okay, now it makes sense. And it's suddenly, <laughs> yeah, he's, I couldn't imagine him in any other type of role. And Yeah, if he's for this, you know it's good. Yeah. He's in the show, you know he's good. It's a good time with Mr. Paul St. Peter. Okay, uh, speaking of pet dogs and other fatherly figures, mm-hmm. you want to move on, to, we want to move on to our next set of characters, I guess? Indeed, indeed. Okay. So next we have Momotaro Morikawa, a.k.a. Kokone's dad. Uh, He's a mechanic, works in a small-time village, and he's actually using... We see in the beginning that he's using the self-driving car technology that his deceased wife created to help some of the older... the elderly um, in that village... Oh, yeah. with, ...with their cars, and it's... The, the, one of the first early scenes is him like putting the self-driving car technology in in an old in an older gentleman's truck. <laughs> oh, that was darling. It was great. And as he's driving off, he's just the old guy's just sitting there as the car goes. He's like, "You at least need to put your hands on the wheel." He's like, "Oh, it's fine." I'm like, "Well, if you get pulled over, it's on me." <laughs> oh yeah, it was a that was charming. That was so charming. It was adorable, but um. Momotaro also has some secrets of his own, and there's a lot of stuff he actually actually doesn't really tell Kokone about. Uh, mm. In the dream world, uh, Momotaro is also known as Peach, who, uh, from what it looks like in the beginning, he works for this massive mechanical production line in Heartland Kingdom, and in Heartland, and um, he's apparently... Asin mistakes him as a pirate by the looks of it, <laughs> and she's like, I want to join you, you're a pirate! And um, there's a lot more history between Peach and Asin than what uh, you see starting out. And then oh, we yeah. have then we have Joy. So Aww. Joy is the stuffed dog, stuffed animal toy dog uh, Kakone has had since the day she was born. Uh, like Kind of like I was saying before, uh, when we were talking about uh, the Heartland yes. King and how she recognized and how he recognized Kakone as someone his daughter knew. Um, Shijima actually gave joy to Kakone's mother yes. as a child. So that doll has been in the family for years. Um, and joy, while joy does not speak anything in the real world, joy does is is a talking dog in the fantasy Heartland world, uh, thanks to Asen's magic. Um, as for the individuals voicing these characters, as Momotaro Morikawa, we have Doug Erholtz, who has been in series such as Blaze Blue Alter Memory, Dorarada X2, and its various sequel seasons, as well as JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Stardust Crusaders. And as for Joy, we have Colleen Oshazani, who has been mm. in series such as Slayer's Evolution R, Nodame Katabile, and another Digimon veteran, uh, but this time, uh, Col- you might know Colleen more from Digimon as Sora. From the oh. first, from the first series as well as zero two, 
Uh, and I want to say she reprised her role in Digimon Try. I want to say that she hmm. did, but don't quote me on that. I don't want people to get mad at me. <laughs> I haven't seen Digimon Try yet. I've been waiting for it to finally come out and then just... the It's a winter night sort of thing. Watch it at that time. And... There's a... There, this is... Digimon Try is interesting because I think it's a series of like six or seven films. Mm. And last I knew, at least three, maybe four of them are out on DVD Blu-ray. I think I at least have two or three of them. Mm. Um, I can't remember if the last one has premiered in Japan yet or it's getting close to. Um, but there's a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, Sneeves, how do you feel about Doug Erholtz and Colleen O'Shaughnessy? Doug seems very fitting for this role. Uh, Momotaro in the real world is actually a nice little slice of what I have seen on some documentaries, what a Japanese... Uh, blue-collar man's life is like in a small village, mm -hmm. where if they've got a skill like this, like car repair, they're just a focal point who's uh, beloved by the community because they can do that thing that makes uh, everyone happy. And I found that that uh, he brought he brought a sort of I don't want to say survivor's guilt, but sort of um, quiet melancholy that sort of. Um, okay. Haunted him. Uh, haunted him in the background. There was. You can clearly tell he was still dealing with his wife's loss in his own way. And uh, knowing Doug Erholz's previous history and previous roles, I thought he could bring that sort of subtlety to the table. Um, as in his in his world, as Peach is sort of an upstart rebel fighting the car manufacturing man, he refuses to own a car. He's gonna own a scooter, and he's gonna like it by gum. Uh, <laughs> Motorized scooter, let's go. <laughs> yeah, it was just. Uh, yeah, he's more he's more of a romantic rebel in this case in this fantasy yeah. setting, and it's Duggar Holst doing that. Being a fantasy, being a rebel character in a fantasy setting, what can you say? As for Colleen O'Shaughnessy, uh, again, like the uh, aforementioned characters of uh, played by Wayne Grayson and Mike Pollock, mm -hmm. they were. She's a help. She's the fairy tale helper character. She exists as a support role that right. uh, helps our heroine go on and fulfill her destiny by pointing out clues and facts and reminding her about who she is, and. Uh, yeah, I have nothing to complain about. Colleen O'Shaughnessy entertained us for many hours in our childhood, and here she gets to carry on with more of that childlike joy of the uh, talking dog. I <laughs> Yeah, that's all I have to say about that. Two, two actors doing what they do best. <laughs> for sure. Um, I mean, Colleen is... The note, the note I wrote down, Colleen is such a good toy dog. <laughs> <laughs> Because she really is. Because Joy is, if if anything, if you were to label this as a kind of stereotype or a trope, Joy is the mascot character. If oh, we're yeah. getting right down to it, like bare bones stereotyping, Joy is the mascot character. Oh, yes. Um, but, what else? Joy is such an adorable companion to Kokone. Uh, mm -hmm. Actually, in both worlds. Yeah. Because in... Heartland, you do get attached enough to Joy that when you're in the real world, you still feel that attachment, even though Joy isn't sitting here talking to you. Mm -hmm. Like, 
that's one of the things when I say it has such a strong childlike quality because it made me feel like when I was a kid and mm. pretending like my stuffed animals talked yep. and having my like own imaginary friends, that has its own little fun little childlike quality where you're just imagining your own world that you're in and you're, you're imagining your toys are talking to you and... Mm. It kind of reminds me of that, even if you're in the real world and you get so attached to Joy as a character, yes. despite in the real world, Joy doesn't say anything. No, it's the emotional through line that exactly. weaves, ties this movie together so beautifully. Yeah. Each of these characters um, in our main cast are tightly emotionally connected in various ways. And Absolutely. through Kokone's worldview, we can under or her sense of things we really appreciate exactly how much this token of her the mother she never knew meant yeah. to her and the weight that uh joy phil carries in the narrative is yeah. of this symbolic representation of her mother's invisible presence in her life and you can see when she does come to life in the fantasy world of heartland how how special that companion means to her as symbolic of her mother. I mean, I think it's... At this point, it's probably pertinent to bring this plot point up. Um, though a lot of it more pertains to um, Kokone. And a well, particularly Asen. So, Asen, um, throughout majority of the movie, we're thought to believe this is Kokone uh, mm -hmm. in the dream world. Uh, however, we find out it's actually not the case. Oh... So Asen What a is... special surprise that will be. <laughs> what a twist. So Asen in the land of Heartland and in these stories is actually Kokone's mom. Da, da, da. We find out um, through... We find out through... Because there's at one point partway through the film, Kokone enters Heartland, <coughs> but not as Asen, but as herself. So... While she's there, we're we're learning the story about the quote unquote accident that happened to her mom in this mm -hmm. in this story, um, and it's very interesting that because Joy is a very pertinent plot point in this in this film too. Oh yes, not just as a mascot, but um, for reasons for different reasons. Because Joy originally held the tablet, held onto the tablet, um to start us off when Kokone's dad was arrested. Stuff that toy tablet inside, stuff that tablet inside the stuffed toy and it'll never be found. And then Joy's still this companion throughout the entire journey. It, and it's, and I think it's very important to, to see the connection between Joy and Kokone's mom, because in Heartland, Asen is the one who brought Joy to life through magic. And since when we find out that it's actually Kokone's mom who's Asen, and we see that connection with Joy being passed down and being this companion that's full of magic and wonder to it, it's a very interesting through line for Joy as a character in that sense. Um, and yeah. Colleen portrays that very well, not just as the, not just the adorable stuffed dog toy, but as this... It's like Joy is the purest form of childhood that you can get. Like, you can yeah. equate it to the pure the pure heart of a child. Mm. And again, the whole thing with, like, when you're, ki when you're a kid, you have these imaginary dolls. Like, you pretend you 
make your toys talk or you have imaginary friends. That's that's joy in the purest sense. And Colleen portrays that very, very well, and I love it a lot. As for Doug, <laughs> I have a oh. funny story. I thought that Momotaro was actually Morio at the start. <laughs> I got them mixed up. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Whoops. I was like, well, this is Morio, right? I'm guessing it's Morio. And then I look it up again, and I'm like, and then they say it's, um, and then I realized that, uh, Kokone Morikawa, when I was looking at Anna and linked to Momotaro Morikawa, I'm like, wait, this is the dad. This isn't Morio. This isn't who I thought voiced this character. Whoops, that's the next person. But, um, Doug, similar to every, I think, Similar to every other character that we've discussed this discussed so far, save for probably Joy, even though you could probably say Joy has this as well, Doug has to play two different sides to this character in a sense. So he has the real version and the dream version. So the real version is more of a somber, like kind of sensitive, but more more um I think he's still in mourning, if anything. Mm-hmm. Like over the loss of his wife. Because he, he truly loved him. Loved her, excuse me. And one of the big things that Kokone goes through throughout the whole story is how much her dad isn't telling her. Yes. But in reality, he's told her so much. Because of cause when, she, when Kokone was a kid, um, her dad would tell her these bedtime stories about Heartland and the adventures of Asen. And they, the parallels to the real story were there. It's just that Kakone never knew about it until she grew up. Until and she became an adult. That's the magic of stories. Exactly. There's so much more layer within them than we first see at first blush. And... Please, carry on. I'm uh, yeah, in. and again, kind of goes back to the whole comparison where y- if you're a kid and you're watching a movie for the first time and then you revisit the movie as an adult and you pick up on things that you didn't when you were a kid, it's the same idea. Um, so there's that more somber, more mourning kind of personality that Doug has to play with Momotaro. And then as for Peach, Peach is a bit more rebellious and adventurous. Mm. Which is probably what attracted Kokone's mom, uh, Izumi, I think her name is, uh, to him to begin with. And it's very interesting because um, I'm going to say this now. If you watch the movie, make sure you do watch the end credits. Uh, oh, my heart. Oh, my heart. Because the end credits show us some scenes that actually kind of help fill in maybe a couple of gaps um, on the reality side of it. Of how Momotaro met, met Kokone's mom about what happened um we got to see a scene with the two of them eloping at a church we got to see um basically kakone's mom pull a fast and furious on us and just drive off and we never fucking see her again (laughs) like legit that's what they did with her character it (laughs) was such similar to um who the fuck is aaron paul or something Mm. yes similar to him at the end of fast five or something like that oh yes what the shit (laughs) and i haven't even seen fast and the furious before like none of them i'm like okay but i know about this yeah Uh, yeah i admit i choked up a little bit over those end credits it's uh something that 
quiet suspense that helped that leverages character beats and our own foreknowledge of what happens to Absolutely. really invest us into uh, into this world. And uh, yeah, to see that come as a nice coda to all that had right. gone before. Ooh, yeah, I I'm glad I had tissue on hand. I'm glad yeah. I had tissue on hand. It, it was it, so lovely. It's definitely it's definitely worth it to see um, the relationship that uh, Kakane's mom really did have with her dad because it, throughout the course of the film you don't exactly get to see that. So you don't 100% understand how Momotaro feels about his late wife um, until you really get to see those, those scenes during the end credits. Um, but yeah, like Doug, like everyone else, has these two different versions of the character to play and while one is more grounded in realism and is rather solemn and so somber because of the circumstances that's going on. Mm -hmm. You have Peach on the other side of it, who's this rebellious, adventurous guy. And clearly part of the parts of the story with Peach um, and what Asen dreams of before the climax of the film, clearly that's Peach in the past. Mm -hmm. Especially from what we know of about Asen actually being Kokone's mom. So yes. it's very interesting seeing those different sides. And Doug gets to play so many facets of the character. So he's not just the one note, like, de like deadpan kind of, like, stick in the mud kind of guy. He gets to be the adventurous, the, the, he gets to be the adventurer. He gets to be the rebellious kind of person. The, it's he's the romantic hero. Exactly. He's the romantic hero in this situation, and it's a, really a lot of fun to see that. Mm-hmm. Shall we carry on, then, to perhaps the next through Speaking of romantic <laughs> heroes and the contrast thereof... Speaking uh, of the motherfucker I got confused with. Yes. Well, to be fair, the names of Morio and Morizawa are easily conflated. It's true, but then I look, but then I looked at ANN, and I'm like, okay, this makes much more sense. I'm stupid. <laughs> No, you're not. You're just getting wires crossed. I it happens. I was also very tired when I watched this film, and I, it was also really warm because I had to work on the 4th of July. <laughs> it sucked. <laughs> My heart goes out to you. Ugh. Anyway, who we got? Uh, Morio, played by Chris Neosi. Uh, he was in such shows as Terraformers, Fate Apocrypha, and Mob Psycho 100. Chris Neosi's Morio plays is... or is playing the role of um, the foil to Kokone. He is a, uh, for, a friend of hers who's gone off to college, who's come back to the hometown, and finds himself as the boy next door, embroiled in this spacey girl's strange intrigue that involves uh, corporate agents tr chasing them across the land and... Uh, a fantasy wonderland that uh, he sometimes dips a toe into without fully understanding why, but it's a magical realist piece, and if to mm. question it is to destroy the magic of that reality. What were your thoughts on Chris Neosi's Morio? Here's the big important part. Morio is the only character in this film that doesn't have a Heartland version of himself. Hmm... Though, to be fair, you can also say the same thing about Kakone to an extent. Oh, no, um, no, 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 no. I, I, I would disagree with her wholeheartedly. I Ancien said to, is I a said different to character. An, I said to an extent. 
considering we find out Asen is Kakone's mom, to an extent. Alright, I'll stretch the taffy of the metaphor enough. But, it's interesting, and, like, now that my brain is processing this, and at the possibility of a lot of the Heartland dreams and story being in the past, it now makes sense as to why Morio doesn't have a dream mm -hmm. version in there. God, my brain is making connections, oh lord. <laughs> it's terrifying when that happens, isn't it? it? Is, you either go terrifying. mad. It's terrifying, but it could also come up with something very brilliant, which is just slowly sounding very brilliant to me in my brain. It's um, all right. That's how the magic happens. It's when the terrifying mm. vistas give way to wonder. That is the core of magic. Indeed, indeed. So, Chris Neosi, I think... I'm not extremely, extremely familiar with Chris Neosi. The most I've heard of Chris Neosi is... is Reagan from Mob Psycho 100. And Reagan is a weird <laughs> enigma in and of himself for many reasons. Oh, yes. Lord. Um, if I'm putting Reagan and Morio together, like side by side in a room, Morio will think Reagan is a dumbass. <laughs> poor, like, poor Morio. <laughs> like, Morio as a character, he's not just. I, he's not just like the boy next door or the childhood friend. Um,. He, to an extent, he kind of thinks that he knows a bit more. He's a bit more mature because he's had the chance to, like, leave home <laughs> and all this stuff. Yes. Uh, and I also appreciate that he's also a little bit of a nerd. Oh, yeah. Um, because cause he, one of the big things that ends up being an important tool, I should say, uh, in the film, at, in the climax of the film, is there's some VR shit going on. Like, he has, I don't know if he has, like, an Oculus Rift, or... Some future console. Yeah. It's totally that, a VR doodad. Exactly. It's very interesting. So he's a bit on the nerdy side from, like, getting vibes off of that. And um, also, I think he, it's it's pretty clear to me that he actually likes Kakone as more oh, yes. than a friend. Mm -hmm. Which is interesting as well. So, Morio, Morio definitely is much more mature uh, with some slight nerd moments uh, for Chris to play off of and it, he does so wonderfully and a lot of his interactions with Kakone who Kakone in her own right is coming of age she's still a bit immature and naive to, to parts of the world and Morio is kind of here to help balance her out in a sense mm -hmm. um, so their interactions are a lot of fun as well as making it like, two halves creating a whole here. Because um, let's face it, Kakone can be a bit of an airhead. And if she didn't have someone as grounded and mature as Morio on her side, she probably would have gotten her ass in trouble a while ago. Oh, yes. <laughs> let's face it. So, having Chris as this counterpart to Kakone not only makes for a wonderful balance, but it's also a much more mature character Yeah. Uh, that... I get to hear Chris play, and it's a lot of fun for me. Yeah. I uh, I found the role of Morio quite intriguing. I will still defend the boy next door here. He is a supporting character in a heroine's film. And by I guess boy next door has different packages. You can clearly see he has a crush on Kokone. That's oh, uh, not to be denied. But... Um, he also seems to play a thematic foil to her as someone mm -hmm. who is utterly pragmatic and sensible. 
Kokone lives in a dreamland half the time and has the uh, goes off in wonderful fancies looking at her storybook and imagining this wonderland of heartland that never was. And uh, Morio, by contrast, is someone he's going to school and studying computers because he knows it'll get him a good job. And uh, yes, the... I found it quite interesting when you mentioned uh, the fact that he didn't exist in the dreamland was uh, quite telling. Most people in this universe, or in this film's universe, I should say, have uh, a contrast between their real-life selves and the, the selves of their imagination. And they all have this duality to them that, from Kokone's perspective, is slowly revealed to her as she starts to realize that this dreamland of the fairy tale is in fact an allegory mm -hmm. of her own parents' past. Right. And to see that there's this guy who she maybe has a thing with, certainly uh, cares about him very much as a friend, uh, having him be this one styad anchor of reality uh as the one person who isn't entangled in this uh, deep family drama is uh, the grounding influence that I think helps her pull through. And uh, you could view the entire movie as just an extended metaphor of someone coming to terms with their own tumultuous family history. Right. And using that, again, that's the beauty of magical realism. There's... The metaphor stands for something, and that something is called reality. And uh, uh, Chris's Neosi's take on it, I know, I know his take on Reagan certainly was far more bombastic than he ever would be here. This character is reserved. This is the someone who, uh, in a film that in media that would be marketed towards uh, towards women, he would be the. Um, attractive but not too complicated supporting role who's there to be a love interest as necessary but isn't fully integral to the plot. He certainly supports right. Kokone along the way but the story isn't about him. And uh, from what I know of Neosi, this is just a, a chance for him to explore a different set of muscles. In stuff like Fate or Mob Psycho, he's being over the top and being a ham. Here, he does have to react to some surprising things like, wow, the driverless AI in this motorcycle that I have is certainly taking us on all these weird excursions, but he's as bewildered as any one of us would be in this situation. It's, it's a naturalistic response. And uh, to, um, like I say, to, from what I heard of him in the dub, he gave a much more grounded sense of mm. Uh, the everyman in a state of surprise. And uh, I think he did a, a fantastic job here. Yeah. <laughs> this self-driving bike took us to Osaka. Wait, what? <laughs> no, he's Whoops. totally flabbergasted by it. And yeah, like, plays it. It, it's great because they were asleep when that happened. They wake up in Osaka, like, and, and they're like, wait, what the hell happened? That was so charming. That was I. Great. Um, I delighted in this. The whole, the whole how technology feels more like magic in yeah. this, even within our grounded world. Um, I admit, in my old age, I've be I've start to become a little bit more of the old man yells at crowd. Harumph! Social media. Back in my day, we only had internet forums where you could post it only once a minute, and we liked it. 
And, <laughs> we uh, had dial-up it, internet, and we liked it. No, we actually didn't. <laughs> Let's not go back to that. No, but to see... Uh, this movie has such a warm view of technology to see yes. uh, Morio react to it as someone who does play with uh, who does play with the technology mm-hmm. as part of his studies. To see that um, brought into to see that brought into this fairy tale setting and to make right. these new things. Uh, not so much things of fear and derision, but just part of progress, part of the world as usual, the ever-changing nature of people's lives. Uh, they brought up... Uh, uh, he plays into that reaction of, gee whiz, I guess this world really is kind of fun and exciting. Yeah. Uh, it circles around... Uh, his reactions really circle around those themes quite nicely. We have some notes here about... Uh, Comparing the self-driving cars and these AIs to uh, certainly the design of the Tachikoma from Ghost in the Shell. So the um, the interview um, I, that was on the uh, Blu-ray set that I have of Kenji Kamiyama, um, one of the things he was very interested in when he made this film was the idea uh, of this advancing technology and the self-driving car in particular and how it's, it's coming, it's on its way, but... It's also like at the same time there's bit there's it's being obstructed by things that people are holding it back. And that's one of the things you can see in this film too with like people especially in the past with um uh with Shijima where he's like no we we can't do this people are going to want to drive their own cars. Da, 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 da. Like the like he's ba- he's basically this obstruction like in mm-hmm. the way of this advancement and yep. um as as uh, Kamiyama was trying to develop this as a plot line, as a through line for the movie, he kind of ended up on artificial intelligence mm-hmm. and how to kind of push that forward in a sense. Um, similar to the Tachikomas in Ghost in the Shell, except obviously the ta- ex- except obviously the Tachikomas, they can talk. <laughs> and the AIs in this film and in this world, they don't really do anything. They're um, our world AIs, as opposed to Tachis. Exactly, but at the same time, um, some of some of these AIs that you meet and deal with in this film, they have their own personality to them in a sense. For example, the biggest example I would think is um, Heart the motorcycle. Oh, Heart. Heart the motorcycle is the most moe motorcycle I have ever seen in my life, and I want to snuggle him even though he is metal. <laughs> He's adorable. It's great. The Kino's Journey fan in me is very disappointed to hear you say this, but I will accept your prognostication all the same. I mean, like, Hermes Hermes is a good motorcycle, but Hart has more... Hermes has seen some shit. (laughs) Hart, not so much. (laughs) Hart has some innocence to him. Let's face it. Um, Yes. I won't deny this. We have one more character to finish off with. Are we ready? Oh yes, but the every every uh, supporting love interest needs a heroine to support. And let's talk about Kakone Morikawa. Uh, she is our lead heroine of the film. She is the titular napping princess because she'll fall asleep probably just about anywhere for no goddamn reason. Sleeping uh, disorders happen. It's true. Um. And she she's trying to rescue her dad, who has been 
Well, I know the summary one it was right at the start of the episode saying mm-hmm. that he was kidnapped, he was quote unquote arrested. Um, because of the same whole thing, depending on who's the police. Same thing. Yeah, totally the same thing. But um, she, with the help of Morio, uh, goes to try and rescue him. Uh, along the way, discovering more about her family uh, and her past uh, that she never knew about before. Um, mm. By viewing, by being in these dreams, both as the dreamer and kind of as a spectator in her own dreams. So it's very interesting. Um, she is also, for the most part, she is also in Heartland, the counterpart of Asen, who is the daughter of the Heartland King and also a mystical sorceress with her lovely little tablet, tablet with magic spells, making ro- robots come to life and all these other fun things. So here's the fun part. So a lot of the cast that we've been discussing so far has either been more LA-based or possibly some New York-based. Um, we actually have a Dallas regular voicing Kakone. Uh, we have Brina Palencia, uh, who has been in series such as Sakura Quest, Spice and Wolf, and another film we talked about over the summer with some of the movies. She is CL Phantom Hive in Black Butler, Book of the Atlantic. Hmm. So. She's got a... She's got a per, uh, quite the uh, resume here. She has quite the resume. She's been all over the place. No, I... I while this is a surprising casting decision, I would have thought um, mostly they would have tapped into the L.A. pool for this. Um, I am more than delighted to have Brina Palencia into this because look at her bloody resume. I've got nothing but positive things to say about her. And the character she's inhabiting does, uh, while she is a ditz, or a ditz, certainly not the sharpest knife in the drawer, mm-hmm. uh, she has quite the emotional range to go through that while she has to maintain a sense of innocence about the whole, about all, every line that is said, but there's weight to everything that is said. And this character, uh, Kokone, does not always know what's going on around her. She has been living this uh, world of childhood fantasies for quite some time. Right. And to see that uh, the realization slowly dawn on her that the stories that were used to entertain her actually are metaphors for her family history, uh, that has quite a bit of punch. Uh, We mentioned previously the discussion she had with her grandfather Mm-hmm. That was uh, quite a powerful scene that I know Brina could do out powerfully. But uh, also there is an action sequence somewhat after that where she has to... She finds herself quite literally in the dream world. Uh, she falls into one of her napping states and uh, wakes up and then all around her there are royal soldiers and giant monsters and wonders and magic and all of these things that she has to react to that also bear the weight of her emotional history. Mm-hmm. And to give that kind of oomph needed for that is something I know she can definitely knock out. But then also to um, go from that scene to a heartfelt reunion with her grandfather, uh, to being rescued by her father, to all of these subsequent things that come after that thing, it's... Uh, quite a balancing act 
Mm. And it's something that I would love. I love to hear Breen and Palencia give the snippets I sampled, and I would very much love to watch this movie in dub to hear her whole performance because wow. Yeah, her her performance as Kakone slash Asen is very interesting. Obviously, the big reason why I say that is because, like you were just saying, nobody really expected Brina to be in this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, what are the odds? And I'm honestly very glad that Michael Santa Nicholas and um, Stephanie Shea reached out to her. And like, well, Stephanie Shea in particular, because she actually also serves as the casting director uh, for this film. Thank you, well, Stephanie. Well, um, if I'm right, Michael served as one of the um, recording engineers out of like four, I think. Mm. And um, I'm very glad that they took the effort to reach out to Brina to get her into the booth for this film because it's very, very beautiful. Like the performance is, I love every second of it. She, she captured, there was a lot of things that she had to capture as Kakone her her sense of um her her sense of her airheadedness her innocence her imaginative childlike quality to her as well as her coming of age story um Mm -hmm. as she's growing up and learning more about herself and her family and the circumstances of everything going on like she's slowly becoming mature in her own right Mm -hmm. and seeing that side of kakone Brita plays like all of the all the facets of Kokone very well, and while Kokone is learning and being a bit more mature through these experiences, Kokone still never loses her childlike wonder. No, she never loses that. She never loses her imagination, and that I think just shows how pure-hearted Kokone can really be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very enjoyable for Brita to play that side, and then we also have course we have Asen, which Brina voices most ma- majority of it, except for like one final scene with Asen. And it's that's also like a different voice, obviously. If anybody has the most distinct difference in tone of voice, it's Brina. Mm-hmm. Considering Kakone is a teenager, like late teens or so, and then Asen is a child. Asen is the one actual physical child character in this entire film. And Brina obviously has to change her tone of voice to match that. Mm-hmm. So the difference is there and it's great. And Asen in particular has, she basically illuminates like childlike wonder and innocence and naivete like to a T. Like that's Asen as a character. She Mm -hmm. wants to be this adventurous girl. She wants to, she believes in so much magic. She believes there is wonder and beauty in the world. And capturing all those childlike qualities in this character, I think Brina does very, very flawlessly. Um, And honestly, I think this is my favorite performance of the film because because of the two sides that Brina has to play. She Mm -hmm. has to play the she has to go back, basically regress to being a child again, in a sense, and relive those moments of childlike wonder and imagination while at the same time also learning to grow up mm-hmm. as Kakone yes. and come to terms 
with a lot of things that she never originally was told as a kid mm-hmm. and the circumstances that came with her family. So there's Kokone is a very complex character in and of herself. Um, and in the span of like, what is it? An hour and a half, two hours. Brina does phenomenally. And I love every second of this performance. No, that's uh, Brina does um, bring the arc of Kokone to a real nice conclusion. I liked how she didn't, while the character is naive, Mm -hmm. she is never truly stupid. And uh, uh, this is someone whose creativity certainly outstrips her intelligence, Mm -hmm. but that's just because she is so incredibly imaginative. Uh, Brina gives that... uh, Brina just makes her sound like a normal gal who has a wild imagination. Yes. And that uh, it would be easy between the director and the actor to just play this character as, Teehee, I'm in dreamland now. She just states some things matter-of-factly. These are just realities about her life, her relationships that are uh, are true to her, why her dad does this... uh, what the driverless car thing or the tablet is all about and why this is significant. Mm-hmm. And when you see Morio, the more cerebral of the two, react to it, he starts approaching the problem solving as you would expect an engineering student sometimes. But, uh, not, not to dig too much on engineers, but you do know you have a, se- you have a very systematized way of yes. going about problem solving. And Everyone he, knows that one person who thinks that way. <laughs> yes. And, uh, yeah, it would be easy to either have Konokone, uh, Kokone, bleh, I can pronounce words good. It's a tongue twister. Do not try saying it five times fast. Do not do it. Kokone would be someone you could easily mischaracterize with the wrong note or wrong tone or wrong bit of performance. Mm -hmm. But from what I saw, Brina just glides between these things quite, uh, quite gracefully as someone who is both a creative and who, who is in some ways very attuned to the emotional realities of the world around her. Yet, but doesn't understand why those emotional realities came to pass. And mm-hmm. her journey to being enlightened on this is uh, quite a treat. Yeah, I like how you said that even with the naivete that Kokoni and Asen have, mm-hmm. the fact that she's also not stupid, the, yeah. it's definitely true when you talk about Asen, because. People have said this. Kids actually aren't stupid. They actually know a lot more than we think we do. They're mm-hmm. a lot smarter and more in tune with the world around them. And it's less complicated. You can, yeah, you can definitely see that with Asen. Mm-hmm. Very much so. She knows what she's doing. <laughs> she knows what she's trying to do. She's the heroine of an adventure story. And that means, providing she's plucky and capable, she's always going to come out on top. And it's that's the sheer delight of this movie, is watching when we go from a reality we know where things don't work out and tragedies happen to this heightened so long as the characters believe in themselves and stay true to their core ethos nothing bad is ever truly bad and uh, it's just so much fun so much fun 
I think on that note, we may as well just briefly move into uh, our final thoughts on the film and the English sub as a whole. Did you mm. want to go first? I would be delighted. I quite enjoyed this movie just watching it in sub. Uh, right away from the pacing and the delivery and the acting, it was uh, something that was a breath of fresh air after a particularly... Uh, we had a particularly bad winter in 2017, and it was quite a treat to see something so sunny and uplifting mm. as this. Uh, it is the family film that we deserve and need, and I'm so happy to see that it got dubbed in English and was dubbed so well. Yeah. Oh, that's it? <laughs> uh, no, no, I've, I could go on more and go into... How it balances magical realism so well, and how it hits all the emotional high notes of a young person's coming-of-age story that also married, marries an, a theme of the ever-changing nature of technology and how progress can cannot be held back and how this need not be a terrible thing, while also keeping a very traditional emotional center... Yeah. Uh, at its core is really quite a delight and uh, for fans of the magical realist genre this is uh, this is the Satoshi Kone kids movie we never got and uh, I am while it is sad to say I am happy to treat this as the last Kone film we never saw you may be depressed again, thanks. <laughs> That's because tears uh, are delicious, my dear. And a great magical it. reagent that we can use to overthrow the wicked king of Heartland who would be in the thrall of a, of a fell sorcerer. Why did I volunteer to do this this year some of the movies with you again? <laughs> because I'm clever and whimsical and happen to be both grounded in the nature of reality while willing to float amongst the whimsical dreamland that is well, fiction. Well, clearly this film was the perfect pick for you to cover this time around. Jesus. I'm uh, sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> if you'd rather I pipe down, I just, I want to, I want to float and be free on this you summer at the fly. movies. With our hearts aligned, we shall fly. I don't remember what that motto was. I can't remember what it was. Or that spell, quote unquote. Um, oh, it was a good spell. It, it was, was a very cute. good spell. It was so cute. And then you find out it's actually the motto of the car company. <laughs> It was so adorable. Um, yeah, that's it, the real magic. It, it lifted our hearts. It taught us to fly. Yes. Um, this all, the, don't all good movies do that, man? You would think, but I mean, unless you're talking about horror films, then you're just scared shitless. Uh, <laughs> but um, in terms Fiction of this, comes film, in many modes, all of which would make which make us feel more human. It is true. Anyway, uh, my final thoughts on this film. Um, Napping Princess definitely is a very fun, heartwarming uh, movie that can send you on an adventure so easily. Whether, like I was saying before, whether you are a child or even as an adult. And it's such a breath of fresh air for films, for me, anime films. Um, considering some of the more intense whether it's action oriented or emotionally intense films that i've anime films i've seen as of late because i have seen i've seen the bungo movie dead apple i've seen the silent voice i've seen your name i've seen 
uh, two out of three Project Ito films. Uh, I have not seen Harmony, and I need to fix that just to say that I've watched it. No, you don't. You don't need to fix it. Read just the book to if say you must. I watched it. I own the goddamn thing. There, I'm so there, sorry sir. you lost that much money. <laughs> just to say I got it. I'm a fucking completionist. It's terrible. It's okay. Um, so this film is definitely a breath of fresh air, um, in terms of it's it's one it's fantastic elements. It's sincerity and and endearing qualities to it and the the film is definitely i feel it's elevated by a dub that not only retains the spirit of what the original was intending and what um kenji kamiyama uh was intending for this film uh but it makes the fantasy elements all too real at its core like a lot of the core values and themes that this film has the dub d makes it very relatable and accessible uh, to English-speaking viewers. And for me, I feel like if and when I decide to have kids and they're old enough to watch and enjoy films, I definitely, like, screw, screw showing them Ghibli films to start them off with. Like, I want to show them Napping Princess first. Like, this, I feel like, would be a film... Mm -hmm. That if I were to have kids, if and when I do, um, this would definitely be a film that they would really enjoy because of all the fantastical elements and the fun and adventure that they could have. Because um, yes. this is something that's, this is a film that in the end is very relatable to everyone. Whether you're a kid who has this wild imagination, create your own fantasy worlds that link it back to your life in a sense. Because, let's face it, a lot yeah. of our dreams and imaginations are based on real-life events. Or you're an adult who has been in that position before, and it's kind of a reminder to you of hmm. your childhood. And those crazy adventures you come up with in your head, and you just go off on your own adventures. It's certainly a heartwarming and fun story, and the dub is yeah. fantastic, so yeah. it's uh, it's it was a joy to watch this film and i'm so happy i own it right now because i sp i specifically bought this a few months ago when we did decide um our lineup for some of the movies and when we did decide that you and i were going to watch this i think i picked it up because i went to visit my family i think a couple weeks after that when we decided the lineup and i picked it up while i was at home mm. uh so i'm i'm very good I'm very happy that I bought this. <laughs> I really wish I had bought this when I was at the convention because, yeah, or pre-ordered it certainly because this is one of the... Uh, I'm sometimes, in my little small town at the ends of the earth, I'm the adoptive uncle of a number of, of wayward children, and uh, this is the sort of thing that uh, old uncle kooky magician Sneebs would certainly want to bring towards the young people of his world. Wake up from this little dream and face a world that's now softer from our imaginings. Unfortunately. All right, Snaps, take Princess. us Princess. It can be found only available on Blu-ray and DVD wherever you buy anime. Thanks. It's not available for streaming, sadly. You must get it on DVD and... Yep. Please do not make the mistake I did and pass it up, pass it by. This is something you will want yes. to own. Yeah, I'm pretty sure um, you can find it from your local retailer. 
Uh, I know, I believe I bought my copy from, um, mm-hmm. from Bull Moose, so that's, that store in particular, if you're familiar with it, at least in, like, the main New Hampshire areas, that's particular to that. Uh, but I imagine, since it's, it's, since it's part of the GK, G-Kids, um, licensing under that label, mm-hmm. you'll probably find it at, like, your local Best Buy, you probably, yeah. you might find it at Walmart by chance, who knows, um, but I'm pretty sure as well that it might be available through Right Stuff. Um, I would need to double check, but I think it is. So wherever yes. you get your anime, in, mm-hmm. like buy your anime and your retailer, you're probably end up finding it somewhere. Yes. And as for finding us specifically, you can find us, the good people of Dub Talk Podcast. We are exist on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, Twitch, and we have a new newly minted coffee. If you want to give us a tiny little bit of money for our tiny little podcast. At the, time of this, at the time of recording this episode of Summer of the Movies, it was brand new anyway. <laughs> it was brand new to me, and it might be brand new to you, too. So... You just learned about it today. <laughs> welcome, That's folks. how new it is. Indeed. So, uh, you can find all of these on Twitter, and you can also find us on Twitter, too. I'm Uncle Azrael on Twitter, where I post jokes, comedy, comics, anime, fandom... RPGs, magic, and more to uh, share, to bring a little more of dreamlike wonder to your lives. And meanwhile, I am on Twitter as well at Lilac Anime Review, with review being spelled R E V E, where a lot of, where I'd say 80% of the time I just talk about my daily life and all this other fun shenanigans. Uh, and side note, at the time that this episode is going up, uh, if you are currently listening to this episode on. Shoot, what is that day it's coming out? Damn, hold on. I should have pulled this up. <laughs> you can always if do you... it in post. I got it. If you are currently listening to this episode on Friday, August 17th, you might actually find us hiding around this weekend at Anime Fest in Dallas, Texas. Uh, nine mm. out of 13 of us are actually it going are actually at the convention. Um, we do have some panels actually going on as well. Uh, unfortunately, at the time of recording our episode for Napping Princess, we do we didn't have um, the schedule as to when these panels are. Uh, but hopefully, and in theory, by this point, we'll have some sort of we'll have had some sort of video letting you know uh, the details as to what we're up to for the weekend. Figured I should put mm-hmm. that out there because. Um, because it's very, because I forgot, because I mentioned this to Sneeves before we started recording. Um, Anime Fest last year, we actually got to meet members of the production, including the director, Kenji Kamiyama, uh, at Anime Fest. So we thought it was appropriate uh, this year for Summer at the Movies and on the weekend of a fest that we discussed Napping Princess. So that's why that ended up happening today. Uh, but yeah, I think that's it. What do you think? I think that with our hearts united, we can fly. That is the exact spell. There we go. I'm like, I can't remember the spell. What is it? That's why I'm a magician, you see. I don't know about that, but... <laughs> I'm a librarian in real life who go, uh, takes old tomes and preserves them for posterity. Is I just uh, happen to have a little bit more of a twinkle in my eye and uh, a levitating carpet when I'm in the dreamland. But that's why... So, so, so you're Aladdin. Is what you're telling me. I've had a jinn serve me on occasion. Jesus Christ. 
Whimsy, oh. my dear, whimsy. whimsy. Reality is fell and base and <laughs> full of pain. Come to Heartland and you too shall find exactly what you needed to learn. I shall do so because right now I'm probably going to go to sleep so I can get some dreams in me. I think we're, I think that's a good place to call it a night. Good night, so everyone. Thank you so much, guys, for listening this summer at the movies. Is If you have seen the schedule, uh, next week is our grand finale. And um, this isn't the last time you're hearing from Sneebs and I during summer at the movies because we're going to be back next week. So <laughs> It's so going to be a, a bloody good time. Literally, it'll probably be a bloody good time. <laughs> So thank you guys so much for listening and enjoying all the fun shenanigans that we've had tonight. Uh, until next time, have pleasant and sweet dreams, and we'll see you next time. Otaku on, my friends. <laughs> <laughs>